Hello and welcome to the first EU Can Beat Cancer podcast. I'm Kevin Purcell, coming to you from the European Parliament in Brussels. Coming up, how a healthy lifestyle can reduce the risk of cancer and what are the environmental factors. We discuss prevention with our guest MEP, a WHO expert and a hospital pharmacist. Thanks for joining us. Our main aim here on this podcast is to keep you up to date with plans by the EPP group and indeed the EU to deal with cancer head on. In particular, we're focusing on the work of the Special Committee on Beating Cancer, which was set up here in the European Parliament just a few months ago. So we want to make it a little easier for all of you to understand. We're joined now by our guest MEP from Portugal, Lydia Pereira from the EPP group. She's also president of the YEPP, the youth organisation of the EPP. Lydia, hello, how are you? Hello, Kevin. I'm fine, thanks. Yourself? I'm very good. I I believe you are a podcast host yourself, so you might know a little bit more than I do. (laughs) Indeed, I am. And uh, I I can tell you that I have a a lot of fun in, in doing it. Great. So look, we're talking about uh, cancer now being a a big priority for the EPP group and other groups as well here in the European Parliament with the setting up of this special committee. Um, What do you make of it? It's a very big issue to tackle. Indeed. Um, uh, well, and but I think it's important to 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 say that during the last campaign for the European Parliament, um, the EPP proposed uh, to make the fight against cancer um, a top EU priority. And I know that sometimes politicians don't have a good reputation. And one of the reasons for this is because they forget their electoral promises. But when the mandate uh, started, the EPP group said we want uh, we wanted a special committee uh, to address this issue because it's very serious and we really need to make uh, this fight against uh, cancer one of the key priorities of the mandate. Um, like I think everyone knows someone who unfortunately was affected by. Uh, by cancer in in is uh, either either it's, if it's a friend if it's a relative, but uh, we all have that. Unfortunately, we all have that experience, and therefore, uh, it is a priority. Unfortunately, the COVID nineteen outbreak uh, somehow changed the way the parliament works and also changed our political agendas. Uh, but in this case, and uh, and 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 I think it is uh, relevant that uh, we 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 say this. Uh, if we all, if we look at all the constraints uh, on our health systems, uh, with many diagnoses uh, to be made, uh, many delayed therapies, um, the fight against cancer is even more important now, and the challenge will be much. Uh, greater because of the pandemic. And since the committee's work begun, uh, there has uh, not been a single meeting where the consequences of COVID for cancer victims uh, were, were uh, were not addressed, were not discussed. Yes, an important point and one worth bearing in mind as we talk about all these issues. Today, though, we're focusing on prevention, which was discussed at recent committee hearings. We'll begin by looking back at what experts had to say about lifestyle factors, Here's a flavour of that meeting. Overall, 1.65 million lung cancer cases could be averted over the next 20 years if tobacco control policies were to be implemented at the highest level. And that's only lung cancer, so uh, the number would, of course, be even greater if we only have, uh, if we would have included other smoking-caused cancers as well. 
I could clearly state that lung cancer screening should be available for all European citizens everywhere in Europe and it is, it is up to us, up to the community to make it happen as soon as possible. According to our recent publications, alcohol is responsible in the European region for 180,000 new cancers uh, per year and 92,000 cancer deaths. This means that these deaths would not be occurring if alcohol was not consumed in our region. I just want to highlight in addition that men are really, all the men here in the audience and around should really think twice about because their consumption, because men are drinking most and are most at harm here. Body fat has been identified by WHO recently as very important. Probably after tobacco, keeping a healthy weight with low levels of body fat is very important, one of the most important. We really need to reduce the amount of meat. Europeans have too much meat, particularly processed meat does have an impact, particularly on cancer, nothing compared with alcohol or tobacco, let's, let's be very clear, but there is a role there, processed meat is not healthy. To fight uh, against the cancers related to UV exposures, of course, we need the better education, to make this uh, UV exposure less fashionable and uh, more responsible using of sun. Uh, we need on EU level uh, more uh, legal actions against artificial tanning beds. HPV causes around 5% of cancers worldwide and just under 3% in Europe. So we can see almost 70,000 cases in the EU caused by this virus. Now, all of these diseases are preventable through vaccination and effective screening. Okay, Lydia, the meeting covering a lot of ground there, particular attention being paid to smoking, drinking, obesity, sun, sunbeds, the HPV vaccine and even eating meat. What stood out for you? Indeed, we heard seven leading specialists in um, in cancer prevention. Um, you've already highlighted some of the of the main factors. Uh, some are part of our lives. Um, many of us have uh, sed sedentary lifestyle, um, and and there are people who um, uh, who who either overeat or uh, that eat very poorly. So the diet uh, is, uh, is, very, is very poor. Um, there are addictions like tobacco or, or drinking. So we have to turn bad habits into, into good ones. Um, I am 29 uh, years old. Uh, just over 10 years ago, when I was in high school, uh, we could buy you know, chips, uh, fries, uh, or sweets uh, at school, candies, uh, in, in my, which are full of, of sugar and, uh, and salt and uh, indeed not very good for, for, for health if we take them in uh, huge amounts. Uh, in my country, um, Portugal, today, that is no longer possible. I would also like to, uh, to give another example, um, because thanks to the European policies, um, the amount of salt in food has also been reduced over the past few years. And there are little things that, that actually have a great impact. And so uh, requiring an identification document or even banning the sale of tobacco near schools is another important uh, measure. Um, but uh, as we know, uh, there are many differences at European level. Uh, in some Scandinavian countries, there are brilliant policies uh, from prevention to therapies. 
But in other countries, there is still much to do. Uh, there are countries where even data collection fails. Uh, in, in Eastern Europe, uh, for example, cancer patients today have 30% fewer chance of recovery than Western European countries. Uh, but there is one thing that we know and we have to believe in. Um, a common cancer prevention strategy could prevent 40% of all cancer cases. Uh, we've uh, heard this in every meeting. It is in many reports and the strategy is still missing. And that is what we are working on. Um, uh, the EPP group is uh, committed to strict and fast implementation of, uh, tobacco, of the tobacco directive because we have to better control the sale of tobacco and also alert um, more to the harmful effects of smoking. Uh, it has also been studied that raising taxes has effects on, on consumption. Uh, this also applies to alcohol. There's there's still many things to do, and, uh, and there is an obesity problem in, in Europe. So we need to invest in awareness campaigns, promoting healthy lifestyles and, and, uh, and go further. It is true that public health is not uh, an area of exclusive EU competence. Uh, we've heard this now because of the pandemic. However, uh, the, the EU can legislate cross, uh, in cross-cutting areas with major impact on public health and, and food security is one of them. Uh, we must act on the risk factors. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but, but, but the leading cause of death in, in, at the European level is uh, cardiovascular disease and the second one is cancer. So both share um, the same uh, risk factors. And I mean, the main theme here seems to be the, the disparities between the member states. I mean, some countries are doing very well um, thanks to things like uh, more awareness uh, and, and better screening. Uh, others, you mentioned some in the East, are not doing so well. The main aim is to try to bridge this gap and make the whole thing come together. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, the recent programme uh, for a, a European health uh, programme, it's very much welcome and it's uh, the instrument that we can actually use to mitigate the, the existing gap uh, on, on, on the matter. Um, because uh, to be honest, the way I interpret this, uh, this, this sometimes if I can say conflict of interest, because it's uh, health, it's a national competence and the EU does not have, um, uh, does not have the, the, the legal framework to, to, to address it um uh, in a more uh, in a more straightforward way i think uh, we 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 all agree that the pandemic revealed uh, how dependent we are um uh, on one another and and so if we manage to actually sh uh, onboard a strategy where we share more knowledge uh, where we share the more the results on uh, research uh, and that we can together promote more innovation. We can find other ways and uh, and, and uh, cutting edge uh, technology that can actually address um, the problems that, uh, regardless of the fact that they are under the competence of uh, of, uh, of national governments, um, we are talking about European. European people, European citizens, and so we have to find, uh, we have to use 
these these instruments. And I, as I said, I think the European Health Programme is a good one. And do you think that one of the the only good things to come out of COVID is that we're all very much focused on health at the moment, uh, and maybe the EU will do more on the issue of health? I think the EU can do what um, what has been doing since the beginning of the pandemic. There was a first moment of fear uh, by all national governments, which led to situations of, uh, you know, uh, uh, adopting a protective uh, uh, attitudes towards the uh, the material, like uh, uh, protective material, ventilators, and so on. Uh, and and having highlighted uh, such uh, such uh, such situation, the European Commission took the leadership in um, and joining efforts um, to actually manage uh, the crisis and responding to the needs of the member states, which were not the same at the same time. So I think this is a, a, a lesson learned and uh, for for future reference um, is uh, that we this is not about giving competences to to the European Union. It's more about letting the European Union managing uh, managing uh, um, particularly in, in situations like uh, like crisis, because in the end this affects the. The functioning of the single market. If we go, uh, if we if we want to to discuss it, and um, if we have now a European Commission committed to um, uh, conclude agreements, um, contracts with the um, pharmaceuticals to have the vaccines, it's because we somehow recognize the power of the European Union to speak in one voice. I think we can aim to have uh, also a more coordinated action towards uh, health. Okay, let's move ahead to another area of prevention, which is environmental factors. To find out more, I spoke to Joachim Schuz, Head of Environment and Radiation at the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is part of the World Health Organization. I began by asking him to give an overview of the main environmental causes of cancer. Yeah, I think first you really have to put this in context of the prevention initiatives that we are currently reinforcing from the side of the agency because uh, we are looking at uh, an emerging epidemic of cancer over the next 20-25 years with forecasting more than 100 million new cases of cancer uh, during this time and uh, this means that we cannot uh, cope with this problem just by relying on treatment. We have to do prevention and we have to implement uh, what we know about how to prevent um, cancers. And, uh, and we do know, of course, that a large proportion of cancers due to lifestyle habits, uh, uh, smoking and uh, obesity, to name just the two most prominent ones. But we also have identified a number of uh, environmental factors that contribute to the cancer burden at uh, different chemicals, uh, mainly uh, at workplaces, uh, but also different types of radiations. You mentioned workplaces there, so certain workers are at more risk of cancer than others. Yes, so we think that uh, currently about 3 to 4% of uh, all cancers are attributable to workplace uh, carcinogens, and uh, many of them are known, so with uh, regulatory measures, uh, one tries to protect the workers. Um, so we have identified uh, about 50 uh, chemicals at workplaces or occupational uh, processes that have shown to be carcinogenic to humans 
nevertheless, if you look at the numbers, then you have still one dominating uh, uh, cause of cancer at the workplace, which is asbestos exposure, which uh, has been banned in, in, in Europe some uh, 30 years ago. Uh, but you can still see because the development of cancer takes so long, it really takes time until prevention becomes successful. So we are still looking at an epidemic of asbestos-related cancers in Europe, uh, even when these preventive measures were put in place uh, decades ago. What kind of cancers are we talking about here? So the most common uh, cancer uh, resulting from workplace exposure is lung cancer, uh, because it's uh, mainly the inhalation of carcinogens, so, so the inhalation of asbestos fibers. Uh, but we also know that uh, for construction workers, you have to protect them for uh, inhaling silica or, or nickel, or there's really a number of, uh, of workplace carcinogens. And uh, this is followed by, by bladder cancer. And also we know that some of the hematological cancers, so leukemia lymphomas, are due to workplace carcinogens uh, like benzene, for instance. What do we know about pollution as a contributing factor? So the, the really challenging question for us is because uh, these, these carcinogens that we have identified at workplaces, where usually people are exposed to, to sometimes really high doses, uh, we find them also uh, in the environment. Uh, but we have uh, much less reliable data of it, uh, whether, whether uh, these chemicals also cause cancer at low doses. And uh, this is really where research is currently focused on because we know that we have large, larger populations uh, that are exposed to these lower doses of chemicals and also much less opportunities for people to protect themselves. So, so this is really an open question because we also have not identified uh, the causes of about 50% of all cancers. So, so it could be that the portion that is uh, attributable to environmental factors is bigger than we think at the moment. We do know though that UV rays from the sun is dangerous. So UV radiation, we also think that it causes about 3% of uh, all cancers. And uh, here we do know very good interventions, how you can protect yourself. And this is, for instance, uh, described in the European Code Against Cancer. So clearly, uh, uh, you can uh, deal with it yourself by, by avoiding um, uh, times being outside in the sun when the UV index is too high or, or put some long sleeves on and uh, also avoiding sunbeds, uh, if not medically indicated, uh, is also uh, a recommendation that we give to reduce this uh, UV-related cancer burden. What about climate change? Is there a concern that changing weather patterns might increase the cancer risk? So uh, indeed, uh, we are looking at it, and uh, we do have concerns, uh, probably not so much about the direct effects of climate change at the moment, though it's also very difficult for us to predict. Uh, but of course, there might be indirect effects, so effect on, on uh, pollution in the air, which uh, we do also know uh, is contributing to the cancer burden. So, so, so indeed, this is also one of the areas where I think uh, more research uh, is needed in the future. Generally speaking, when looking at the environmental causes of cancer, what should politicians prioritise when trying to find ways to deal with it? Uh, I think one of the main drivers why you also look at the environmental factors is here, uh, the individual clearly needs the support from the uh, health decision makers and uh, from, from uh, uh, politicians, the governments, uh, because very often uh, protecting yourself is uh, beyond your own control. And if we talk about air pollution, for instance, or, or 
quality of water or pollutants in soil. Uh, so you need regulatory measures. Uh, it's, it's very often that it's the most vulnerable that are affected uh, by these uh, exposures uh, with uh, less resources to protect themselves. So this also needs uh, uh, strengthening uh, by the government. So, so I think this is why it's important. And also, I mean, if you look at the risk from an individual, I mean, we do know that uh, smoking is the main driver of cancer in Europe at the moment, but of course, for a never smoker, uh, uh, you, find, you find the major cancer risk elsewhere uh, and for people who have a healthy body weight or for people who drink uh, very little alcohol. Uh, so of course, you also want to care about people who are health conscious and, uh, and uh, help them to protect themselves from cancer. So we see these renewed efforts on a political level to tackle cancer in the EU. That must be welcome. Oh, absolutely. So as the agency, uh, we have been, uh, I mean, very strong on this uh, for, for, for many, many years, uh, pointing out uh, at an early stage that treatment alone uh, will not help to tackle the cancer burden in Europe. And we do know so much about uh, interventions, how to protect people from cancer. They just have to be put in place and I think one of the main barriers uh, in the past has been that uh, these, these efforts uh, take time until they become effective uh, because cancer takes so long to develop. So, so if you do primary prevention today, the effects will only be fully seen in 20 years down the road or so. So, so I know, <laughs> especially if you look at the Corona crisis, where you now have uh, practically immediate effects of your preventive measures. Uh, for, for, for cancer, you do need patients, but it's really the 11th hour and we have to implement primary prevention measures today uh, because otherwise future generations will suffer. Joachim Schuz from the International Agency for Research on Cancer there. Uh, Lydia, he said we're in the 11th hour. We need to implement changes today. A, a stark warning. Indeed, uh, we have to... Um we have to to take to take action. Um, um, I think it's important um, also to 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 bear in mind the relevance of the of environment. Um, well, I'm a member of the environment committee, which is called Envy. <laughs> And um, and this is uh, and climate change has been a political a political uh, cause. Uh, one of the most important of of my of my generation uh, recently, um, uh, Mr. Shoes says that climate change can indirectly cause some cases of of cancer, but he emphasizes uh, that more scientific research is uh, is needed. So I, I prefer to look the other way. We know that some aspects that cause climate change are also responsible for causing cancer. Uh, the pollution in some cities is is very very worrying. We need to we need to promote air quality measures that address the cause of bad air uh, quality. And then uh, there are uh, there are of course labor uh, factors. Um, uh, of course, there there are more more exposed professions. Um, Mr. Schuss uh, has said it, and the Commission will also have to foresee this in the master plan um, uh, to f on the fight against cancer. 
Yeah, and one issue that caught my attention when looking uh, at risks in the workplace was uh, something called cytotoxic exposure, which is affecting healthcare staff. Uh, to find out more, I spoke to Miriam Krull. She's a hospital pharmacist based in Amsterdam. I asked her to explain what cytotoxic exposure is and why healthcare staff are at risk. Both radioactivity and a lot of anti-cancer drugs, they can cause cancer by themselves. And I know that the first time you hear that, that sounds strange, but it's the only way you can effectively disrupt the uncontrolled growth. We all know that radioactivity is not good for, our, for health. So if you go to the dentist and the dentist will make an x-ray of your teeth, then you will notice that the moment the x-ray is taken, the dentist and the dentist technician will shortly leave the room or go behind the shield. And this x-ray is not dangerous for you as a patient because you get it once every year or once every two years. But if you are the dentist and you take these pictures on a daily basis for multiple patients, you would be exposed to a low dose every time. And if you are on a daily basis exposed to substances that can cause a disruption of the cell functioning, then this may lead over a prolonged period of time to uh, developing uh, cancer. And that's why we find it so important that all the workers are shielded from exposure to anti-cancer treatments. How do you go about making sure every worker is shielded? I, I take it, you know, standing outside the room isn't feasible for, for every scenario. Now, that's uh, not feasible with anti-cancer drugs. So I'm a pharmacist and me and my team, we compound chemotherapy. So if a patient needs chemotherapy, we will make the right dose in the right combination for each patient. We use that, uh, we do that in dedicated um, cabinets that shield us. So that's what we call a biosafety cabinet. You might have seen that. So you are shielded from the working area. And we use very good uh, personal protection uh, equipment. All in the workforce have a right to safe working conditions. That means not only the pharmacy staff, so all the doctors, all the nurses, and also the cleaners who clean the wards in the hospitals where such drugs that we talk about are handled. What we see is that there is a lot of inequality. In the northwestern part of Europe, there is a lot of effort into safe working and maybe because the budgets are better in these regions, we know what to do. We have good procedures, we have good protection and we see unfortunately that in some parts of Eastern or Southern Eastern Europe, the conditions are not as safe and that is unacceptable. And that was Miriam Krul, hospital pharmacist there, telling us about some of the dangers faced by healthcare staff. Um, Lydia, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to get your initial reaction to that. Well, um, COVID uh, has uh, taught us the importance of uh, protective equipment. Uh, hospital infections uh, decreased significantly. 
Um, Dr. Krul gave the example of the dentist or technician who walked away when uh, who walk away when they are doing the an, an X-ray, and and it is a good one. Um, and it's a good example. Um, we see the the uh, evident suffering of people who are undergoing um, radiation therapy because of cancer. Professionals who have to deal with these uh, with the hazardous materials must be properly protected. This is very important. Uh, Kevin, I, I know we are, uh, we, you mentioned we are running out of time, but I would like to highlight that we have talked about a lot of different issues today. So our task is indeed difficult and our challenge is uh, huge. But with the political will, I'm sure we, w we can do it. Okay, nice way to end, Lydia. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Kevin. It was a pleasure to be the the, the guest of the, this very first episode, and I'm I'm looking forward for the next ones. Well, that's it for the first EU Can Beat Cancer podcast. We'll be back in the new year and hope to focus on patients, caregivers, and possibly equal access to treatment too. Don't forget, you can keep up to date by following us on EPP Group social media channels and by checking out our dedicated website, eucanbeatcancer.eu. From me, Kevin Purcell in Brussels, and my guest, Lydia Pereira in Portugal. Bye for now and stay safe.